facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey everybody, welcome to the program. It's the last day of May, which of course is dedicated to Our Lady. It's May 31st, 2023, and that's very appropriate because today is the Feast of the Visitation. It's one of the mysteries of the Rosary. It's so crucial for understanding some of the Marian teachings of the Church. So we're going to talk about that. We've also got so much more for you. I want to give out the phone number right now, 888-914-9149. That's the number to call toll-free to talk to me, 888-914-9149. You can also email the program. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. So we're going to talk about the visitation, how it's prefigured in the Old Testament. It's really where you can find some of the words to the Hail Mary as well. But more importantly, what it really means for our lives today. And speaking of visitations, how come nobody really, well, maybe this is a good thing, depending on where you're coming from. You don't see people dropping in unexpectedly on friends and family too much anymore. The death of the unexpected visit. Maybe our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation. That was more of a thing. And maybe we've lost something because these things aren't happening. We're going to talk about that later on. Plus, we're going to talk a little bit about, say, about, about David in the Old Testament. But when it comes to the, to, the, uh, to the visitation, there's a bit of a sneak preview, if you will, in uh, the first book of Samuel. David's involved with that. But I recently read about a modern-day David. Yep, a young boy with a slingshot a 13-year-old kid from Michigan who saved his sister from something really, really bad. He's a modern-day David. We're going to talk about that uh, later in the program. It's a great news story, and it is the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. That's a toll-free line to call. All right, so, of course, today is the is the feast day of the visitation. And what, what's really cool about this is that it's prefigured in the Old Testament. This is something called typology. We talked about this a little bit yesterday when we were talking about Mark Twain. He once said, history doesn't always repeat itself, but boy, it sure does rhyme, doesn't it? And and it's so true that that's the way things go. And it makes sense because the way God acts in history and salvation history, it's always the same because God never changes. In the book of Hebrews, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's truth never wavers. People want it to change. They wish it could change, but it doesn't change. And so truth is truth. And in the Old Covenant, God worked a certain way. He does in the New Covenant as well. He just, he just does it with different people, places, and things. So this is really the essence of typology. It's a little bit of like what Mark Twain uh, hit upon. Types, typology. This, this is a, a motif where People, places, and things in the Old Covenant time prefigure greater people, places, things, events, and salvation history in the New Covenant time. And that really makes sense. God, as as many writers have said, God writes the world the way that human authors write with words. If you're reading, right now my wife is big into Stephen King novels. I think I've mentioned this to you. And any great writer, any great thriller writer is going to use things like foreshadowing uh, to tip you off uh, things might ha- that might happen later. And that's kind of what God does 
in salvation history. So let's let's take a look at a place in the Old Testament that prefigures uh, what's going on with the visitation. Of course, you can find this in Luke's gospel, the scene of the visitation. And Luke is very, very well-versed in the scriptures. He's, he's a literary artist. And essentially what happened was in, in 1 Samuel chapter 6, it talks about David going to get the ark. Um, he retrieved it, brought it back. He wanted to bring it to Jerusalem. But the guys who were carrying the ark slipped. And there was a, a man named Uzzah. And I mentioned this the other day, so I won't belabor, belabor this too much. A man named Uzzah was kind of zapped by God. He tried to steady the ark as it was falling. And he wasn't allowed to touch the ark by law. And so he got zapped. He died. And David kind of freaked out. And he said this, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So he said, I'm going to do a little experiment. I'm going to take it to the home of my pal, who is really my guinea pig. He doesn't know it yet. His name is Obed-Edom. And so he goes to the hill country of Judea and kind of parks the ark there for three months. And they're like, okay, we'll watch this for you, Obed-Edom and his family. And he comes back three months later. And he thought they'd, they'd, they were going to get zapped as well. But no, they've been blessed. They've been blessed extremely by God. And this was David's sign to say, okay, I think I can now safely take the ark back to Jerusalem because David knew quite quite well his own sinfulness. And he thought, if this guy Uzzah got zapped, maybe I'm going to get zapped too. But uh, what happened to Obed-Edom kind of gave him courage and he takes the ark back to Jerusalem and he's dancing and leaping before the ark. There's lots of joy to be had. And this is exactly what Luke says it's very similar when you, when you, when you're looking at the visitation in Luke chapter one, and we can look at this in verses 39 through 45. It says in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears, the babe in my womb leaped for joy. And who was the babe in her womb? John the Baptist. And blessed is he, is she, this is what Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Okay, so you have to understand the parallels here. This is not an accident uh, that Luke is writing it this way. If you've been to the Holy Land, and I, I've been able to take pilgrims there uh, to this place, the hill country of Judea, there's a beautiful, beautiful church there in Ein Kerem, the Church of the Visitation. Uh, it's got some incredible mosaics in Ein Kerem, and that's, that's where the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah was. It's very, very close to the place where David took the ark in 1 Samuel chapter 6, and that's a place called Abu Ghosh. You say, oh gosh, all right, Abu Ghosh, that's where I need to go. Very, very close together. So it's the same area, the hill country of Judea. I don't think it's accidental uh, that Luke pulls this together. And then, of course, when David said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? This language, I mean, Elizabeth almost quotes it verbatim. How can the mother of my Lord come to me? So, the literary artistry of Luke is, is once again on display. David dancing in front of the ark. And, and it's, a caller asked me about this uh, on the show recently. 
was there anything to do with the way that David was dressed and his dancing? Yeah, there was, because he was wearing the linen ephod of a priest. Even though he wasn't a priest, he was the king. It's interesting because John the Baptist, of course, was in the womb of Elizabeth. He leaps, he dances for joy before the Ark of the New Covenant, Mary. Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in a second. Now, what's what's intriguing about this is that a lot of scholars think that John the Baptist was a descendant of Aaron, the high priest. So, kind of interesting that David, dressed as a priest, dances before the Old Testament Ark, and now uh, John the Baptist, a descendant of the great priest Aaron, is dancing before the new Ark. So, really intriguing. And then, of course, Mary stays in the hill country of Judea with Elizabeth for the same time period, for three months. Same time the Ark of the Old Covenant stayed at the home of Obed-Edom. So, this is amazing. And then again, blessed. Um, Blessed is she, you know, who believed what the Lord had said was going to come to pass. This word blessed keeps popping up again and again in Luke. Again, it goes back to how Obed-Edom and his family were blessed by the Ark. This is interesting, too that um, in one of the commentaries on, on Luke's gospel, it talks about how when Elizabeth greets Mary, she's just crying out. And she uses this word that's used in the Old Testament, in the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament, with the liturgy and with the worship of God that had to do with the ark. So again, this is not an accident. Luke is really, really good with his Greek, and he knows what he's doing here. He knows the Greek Old Testament pretty clear the connection that he's making so then what happens well of course in the old covenant david of course took the ark back to jerusalem where does mary go after her time visiting elizabeth kind of taking care of her in her her pregnancy they're both pregnant but of course elizabeth is farther along she goes back to eventually jerusalem as well and she goes to the temple which was the home of the ark in the in the old covenant so i I don't think this is an accident i'm sure that uh, you don't either So let's look at what was inside the Ark of the Old Covenant. Well, it's pretty cool. The Ark, of course, contained three things that were really important. The stone tablets of the law, the Ten Commandments, the very finger of God wrote on those tablets, the Ten Commandments. And on the Faith Explained show on Relevant Radio, we recently went through the book of Exodus. And it was quite a journey with the Israelites through the the desert. And, And one of the highlights, of course, was Moses receiving the law on Mount Sinai. Well... Those tablets ended up in the ark. This box made with acacia wood, uh, overlaid with gold. And what was really important wasn't the gold, it was what was inside the box. What else? There was an urn or a jar that contained the manna, the miracle bread from heaven that God fed the Israelites with on their journey to the promised land. And one more thing, speaking of Aaron the high priest, the staff of Aaron uh, that miraculously sprouted and, and budded it kind of proved his priesthood. That was also in the Ark of the Old Covenant, Raiders of the Lost Ark. What about Mary? Well, she contained in her body, not the Word of God on stone tablets, but the Word of God made flesh, a person, Jesus Christ. And then, of course, Jesus is the true bread of life that has come down from heaven for the life of the world. And this is really what the Eucharist is all about, that we feed upon this bread of life in the Eucharist, his body, blood, soul, and divinity hidden under the appearances of bread and wine. And so that that manna of the Old Covenant obviously represents and foreshadows the greater manna, the Eucharist of the New Covenant. 
John chapter 6 is really all about that. And of course, Jesus is, according to the book of Hebrews, our true high priest who has passed through the heavens into the true holy of holies, God's presence, to present this living sacrifice to him. So I, I just think that this is not uh, accidental at all on Luke's part. And then, of course, there are other passages, too, in the, in the New Testament that kind of link Mary with the ark. Thinking about the book of Revelation in particular, Revelation chapter 12. Now, the old ark had gone missing, of course, in 586 B.C. It is said that the prophet Jeremiah hid the ark, hence the lost ark that had to be found by Indiana Jones. And it was because the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, ransacked the temple, the ark needed to be protected. And, and no Israelite has seen this thing in hundreds and hundreds of years. But then in, in the book of Revelation, John the Revelator, who's probably John the Apostle, has a vision. And he sees the ark, he sees God's temple in heaven opened at the end of chapter 11. And then there's no chapter divisions in the original text of Revelation, just on a continuous scroll. And then chapter 12, it goes right into John's vision. He sees a great portent in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was with child. And that child, of course, rules is to rule the nations. And that is, of course, the Messiah, Jesus. So now some people want to say, hang on here. The woman isn't Mary. It's supposed to be Israel. Uh, it's supposed to be the church. All three of those things can be true. And Pope Benedict talked about this as Joseph Ratzinger. He wrote about this. Mary is representing Israel because she's the true Israelite. She is the faithful Israelite. Um, who accepts God's plan for his Messiah and actually participates in it, gives the word flesh. It's incredible. She's the church at the source, as he says in one of his books. So that can be true. Yes, she is Israel. She is the, the Israelite. And the Messiah, of course, comes from Israel. Jesus comes from Mary the Israelite, no question. And there are aspects of the church as well. But clearly, we're talking about Mary here, because obviously the child is Jesus. There's no question about that. And Cardinal Newman talked about this when he wrote about the Blessed Virgin Mary. He said so many great things about her. He said this, quote, I would maintain this, that the Holy Apostle would not have spoken of the church under this particular image unless there had existed a Blessed Virgin Mary, who was exalted on high and the object of veneration to all the faithful. No one doubts that the man-child spoken of in Revelation 12 is an allusion to our Lord. So then, why is not the woman an allusion to his mother, end of quote? So, why not indeed? And so that's uh, one of the great things that we can see from this feast. And of course, uh, this is part of the, the, the Hail Mary prayer, of course. Whenever somebody wants to say the Hail Mary is unbiblical, point them to Luke chapter 1. Because we have the first part of the prayer when the Archangel Gabriel makes his Annunciation to Our Lady. And then the second part of it uh, comes here in Luke chapter 1, when Elizabeth says, I'm just going to first of all look up the, the first part here, and this is uh, uh, Gabriel here, and we know this is from, I just want to get make sure I get, get the verse right here. Uh, da, 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 da. Live radio, can't pause it, that's okay. Uh, here we go. We have here, uh, this is, of course, Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. That's uh, Luke 1, 28. 
And then, of course, later on, when she visits Elizabeth, what do we have here? Elizabeth hears the greeting of Mary, the child leaps in her womb. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's really important. She's speaking by the Holy Spirit of God, and she exclaims, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. That's Luke one forty-two. And we, of course, add in the word Jesus. Clearly, the fruit of her womb is Jesus. So the Hail Mary is clearly a biblical prayer. So this is really important for us to know, but in terms of practicality, how can the visitation really change our life? What can we get out of this as Catholics? We're going to talk about this after the break, and you can call in as well with your questions, 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Be right back. Facts and fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to the show. It's a feast of the visitation, 888-914-9149. Stay tuned. We're going to talk later about why people don't visit each other anymore (laughs) in our neighborhoods, uh, in our communities. And we're going to tell the story of a real-life, modern-day David, who with only a slingshot was able to save his little sister, from certain harm. It's an incredible story. You're not going to want to miss that. 888-914-9149. Before the break, we talked about how the visitation of Mary to her relative Elizabeth was foreshadowed in the Old Testament with the Ark of the Old Covenant. Mary's the Ark of the New Covenant. But what does it really mean for us? What can we take away from this for our own life with Christ every day? Well, there's an Irish priest by the name of Father Connor Donnelly, who's uh, serving right now in Africa. And I, I heard a talk that he gave about the visitation on a podcast. And he, he had a lot of great, great wisdom about this. And he mentioned how in the Annunciation, when Gabriel talked to Mary and, and gave her her mission to be the mother of the Messiah, he, he gave her a little hint as well. He didn't tell her what to do necessarily, but he did say, hey, your relative Elizabeth, is also in her sixth month, by the way. <laughs> and he didn't say, go visit her, but I think Mary picked up on something there. Maybe the Holy Spirit uh, spoke something to her ab- about that. And in, in our series that we're doing right now on the Faith Explained program, uh, 1230 Central every weekday and anytime on the Relevant Radio app through podcast, on the Faith Explained show, we're talking about the Holy Spirit now in these days after Pentecost, and it's called the Holy Spirit, a Beginner's Guide. We really need to get in touch with these inspirations of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things we've been talking about, and I think we've had a lot of fun doing it, is that this is how we know God's particular will for us. His general will, the commandments, teaching of the church applies to everybody. But what about God's individual plans for each one? Well, for that, we we really do need to be in touch with these inspirations of the Spirit. And whenever we're obedient to them, we get a lot more than what we bargained for. And so... Our Lady kind of picked up this hint, if you will, from Gabriel, St. Gabriel the Archangel, and goes to visit Elizabeth. And it's it's unclear, you know, a lot of people sort of presume that Joseph came with her, but maybe not, maybe not. And and she's young at this point. Um, She's a young woman. It's a dangerous journey at some level. It takes about four days. It's uphill. Um, if you've been there, if you've been to the Holy Land, you know that there's a lot of elevation changes there as you're going up uh, from the Jerusalem area. 
and the angels are with her. And in fact, uh, it, there's a, an incredible mosaic on the outside of the church of the visitation of Mary, accompanied by angels on her journey. And she just kind of trusts God with the whole thing. Um, Connor Donnelly, Father Donnelly says she probably didn't even tell Joseph about it. And, and he has, had to be kind of left wondering. And she leaves it all with God. And in, in the Latin translation of Luke's gospel, and of course, Luke was writing in Greek, as we talked about, but it, it's intriguing that it uses this word for uh, how Mary you know, wanted to get there. She wanted to get up to the hill country of, Ju- of Judea. It's, it's, it's a word that's the same verb in Latin that's used for the resurrection of Jesus. This is an incredible action word. And Our Lady certainly is a woman of action. Um, she does say a lot of stuff uh, in the New Testament, the Magnificat. It's beautiful theology, but she also lives this out in, in her life. And she served. She, she lived to serve, these opportunities to serve. She never passed up on it, whether it's at the wedding feast at Cana. Hey, they, they need some wine. Let's do something about this. How can I be of service to Elizabeth? What can I do for her practically, practically? So she goes fast. She goes with haste. She doesn't waste any time. And we have to be the same way. When we are dealing with our friends, when we're sharing our faith with them, and when we're trying to serve other people, we don't want to put it off. We don't want to waste any time because we don't know what the future might hold. We've got to do it now. We've got to do it now. And, and that's what Our Lady did. She didn't ruminate about this. She didn't think about it and you know, log on to social media and start scrolling. She, she right away tried to overcome obstacles that might be in her way. There were literal hills that she had to climb to get there. But she did it. She did it. And so we, we've got to kind of do this in our own life. And St. John Paul II used to say that every vocation in life is a pilgrimage of faith. And he called this vocation that Our Lady had a, a pilgrimage of faith. And there, was, there were a lot of journeys in her pilgrimage through life. There was the, the journey into Egypt, the flight into Egypt. Now there's this journey to the hill country of Judea to see Elizabeth and the gestating John the Baptist, if you will. And there's, there's a lot of daring. There, there's, there's a drive. There's, there's intelligence. She doesn't think about the difficulties or the obstacles, and she's just ready to overcome them. And we have to kind of have that same attitude as well, kind of a can-do attitude in our apostolate, in our evangelistic efforts, in our service. And that's not necessarily a human way of thinking about it. Very often, we, we want to look at the obstacles. We want to see what the barriers are. We're not looking at the destination. We're not looking at, at the goal. And so... This is really what, uh, what we're called to, faith, hope, and love. And, and really, we see this, all, all these virtues, uh, to the max w- with Our Lady. Uh, she goes forward in faith, uh, with hope, and, and in love, and in charity, in order to serve. And miracles start to happen when she gets to Elizabeth's place. True miracles start to happen. The child in her womb leaps for joy, John the Baptist. And St. Thomas Aquinas said that he was actually healed of original sin at that moment. And uh, that's what Aquinas said. Who am I to argue with that? And the Holy Spirit is obviously speaking through Elizabeth. Blessed is she. Blessed is she who believed that the promise made to her by the Lord would be fulfilled. And Elizabeth praises Mary. And that's what Mary says in the Magnificat. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. And it starts with Elizabeth herself. 
she had the privilege to really be the first to say this uh, that we that we know of. And so I think we can learn a lot from Mary. We, she's obviously, as Pope Benedict said, she's the church at the source. She's the first Christian. She's the first disciple. She's the model disciple. And there's so much we can learn from this for, for our own life. And, and probably the chief lesson here is that she didn't think about herself. She wasn't thinking about her own problems. It would have been really easy for her to say, well, I'm pregnant too. I'm the queen of heaven. People should be waiting upon me hand and foot. No, she, she wanted to serve somebody else. And St. Jose Maria said that if we're really, really close with Mary, we're not going to be able to think about our problems. We're not going to be able to be selfish. We're not going to be able to be kind of staring at our belly button, navel-gazing. Selfish personal problems are not going to have space in our minds because we're going to be too focused on serving the others, just like her. And God knows our problems, and he's going to, but if we put the things of God first, God and other people, loving God and loving people, he's going to deal with these problems. He's going to take care of the problems that he knows that we have. And so I really think there's just a, a, so much we can, we can learn from that. And yeah, it's the last day of, of May, the, the month dedicated to Our Lady, so, but let's not waste it. Let, let's take advantage of it. And the grace that, that she wants to, through her intercession, have poured out uh, from God uh, into our soul so that we can serve like, like she did. She's such a great example for us. So I, I just love this feast day. There's so much that we can can learn from it. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. So also thinking about the visitation, it made me think of uh, something that I read the other day. And this was a, an intriguing uh, tweet uh, from a guy who I, I really had never read his stuff before, but it somehow popped up on, um, on my timeline. And this guy's name is Andrew Donovan, Andrew Donovan. And, uh, let me just, uh, find what he said here on Twitter. Now he's a, he's a Catholic writer, uh, father, husband. And he had this little post that he put up called the death of the unexpected visit. <laughs> I thought, oh, this is intriguing. I got to check this out. The death of the unexpected visit. And he said, I'm not sure when the unexpected visit stopped but it was gone before I was born in 1990. I only know that unexpected visits exist because of my Italian grandparents who raised my sister and me for large chunks of our childhood. And they had many of these unexpected visits. People would just show up at their home with little or no warning. They'd just ring the doorbell and pop on in. In the summertime, they'd appear in the backyard. And my nono had, had built a full kitchen adjoined to his garage. And, and and no one batted an eye. He says coffee was put on the stove, sweets would be taken out of the freezer, and my grandma would say, should I make us some pasta? No, 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 it's okay, it's okay. Giamagia, and I, I'm sure my Italian is terrible. Uh, it is terrible, it's, I'm not just sure of it, I, I'm absolutely convinced of it. Uh, which was colloquial Italian for, I already ate. No, 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 don't worry, I already ate. But it didn't matter. Their answer didn't matter, uh, says Andrew Donovan. Uh, they were going to get fed. All these people who dropped in on his Italian grandparents, they were going to get fed regardless of what they said, whether they said that they ate or not. Didn't matter. And and he would just marvel at, how are they doing this? How Where is this food coming from? And uh, he says, I'm in my 30s now. I'm a parent. This is the stuff of miracles. How do they always have that much food? Not only did they have it all in the fridge or in the pantry, but it all came together so quickly. 
He said, it takes me and my wife so much mental bandwidth just to get groceries for ourselves and our daughter each week. Never mind having food prepped in some sort of a, like a culinary magazine ready to fire at any guests who surprise us. And he said, it's that first generation immigrant hospitality that seemed to vanish completely with subsequent generations. He said, I've always been jealous of those drop-ins, especially now in a post-COVID world where people are just so comfortable being at home and alone and unbothered by the outer world. End of quote. Yeah, if you were an introvert, you know, you probably, in some sense, reveled during the, the COVID times. Oh, lockdown, hey, let's do it. You know, I don't have to talk to people. And, and, and you got to maybe step out of your shell a little bit. But for other people, it was so hard for them. Uh, they didn't have that social interaction, uh, which is so human. But uh, back to um, what Andrew Donovan was saying here, that this, this whole idea of dropping in on people today, he said it's absurd to con- even consider doing such a thing. Who, who does that? You've got to give people at least fair notice, text them, can I come by? And he said, you know, I, I kind of want this. I kind of want what my grandparents had. I don't know if you can relate to this, 888-914-9149. Andrew Donovan says, quote, luckily we have a few friends who've tiptoed around the idea that they'd be open to such an arrangement. But again, it's such a foreign concept to our society that we're never sure if they mean it or they're just trying to be nice. And and then there's the fact that we're chronically busy, busy to a fault. He said, my Italian grandparents worked about as hard as anyone I've ever known, even as they approached their 90s. But they also knew how to rest. And a large element of rest was social in nature. Long meals, wine, card games, music etc. La Bella Vita. As a people, we've lost any sense of La Bella Vita. Instead, we get into our pajamas and we watch an unending number of, we used a kind of a, uh, I'll just say crappy shows. He didn't say it quite like that. On a rapidly multiplying number of streaming services. The loss of the unexpected visit has crept into relations with immediate family as well. Even with a toddler, it's hard to convince anyone that their visit, if they're going to come visit, doesn't, it doesn't need to be a thing. It can be a random drop-in on a Tuesday afternoon. We'd welcome it, especially my wife. Making supper or folding laundry while somebody plays with our daughter would be such a small and appreciated act of love. But despite the open invitation, get-togethers are always planned. Dinners, breakfasts, ice cream dates, and so on. Rarely, if ever, just because. I suppose it's wrong of me to assume that friends and family would even want such an arrangement. My nostalgia for unexpected visits isn't their nostalgia. Fair enough. But surely I am not the only one who's wondering where the surprise doorbell rings and exclamations of, hey, look who it is, upon greeting a welcomed, albeit out of the blue, visitor has gone. I feel like suburbia had something to do with it. There are no close quarters, no alleyways, no piazzas, no random park benches, no libraries, museums, and cafes in suburbia. Sociologists call these third places. A third place isn't a first place, home, or a second place, work. It's a place where socialization among close-by friends and neighbors happens. Another key element of third places is that you don't necessarily have to spend money there. A fountain or church steps in the middle of a town square is a perfect example of this. You can sit 
and talk with friends. My guess is that people who grow up with abundant and vibrant third places are more accustomed to meeting people randomly and because they all live close together, the idea that people could drop in at random isn't seen as foreign, strange, or even rude. That said, I don't like using the term third places because it intellectualizes what used to be common knowledge or even taken for granted. Third places sounds like a concept only academics opine about. It sounds annoying. <laughs> a, few a few chairs and tables in a piazza with children playing soccer and the smells of coffee pouring out of hole-in-the-wall bodegas, that sounds warm and welcoming. Similarly, my grandparents' kitchen with tables and chairs from the 1970s, chicken-themed tablecloths, and a picture of Jesus looking like a middle manager posing for an employee of the month photograph is also warm and welcoming. It's been home to countless hours of conversations and events and four generations of family. I guess what I'm trying to say here, in far too many words, is that if you're ever in the neighborhood, buzz up to our apartment. I don't have pasta and gnocchi and a tiramisu ready for you, but I do have some darn good espresso I can put on the stove. My wife seems to always be making sourdough these days, and our daughter is the friendliest, happiest kid you'll ever meet. We'd love to have you. If we know you, don't be weird. End of quote. All right, so that's, that's a really interesting take uh, by this guy, this Catholic writer, Andrew Donovan, on, on Twitter. Does that sort of create this this somewhat n nostalgic longing in your heart? Maybe you kind of grew up with that. Uh, maybe that was what it was like in your home growing up, or maybe your grandparents' home. Is there something that we've kind of missed uh, in, in our modern culture where we just don't do these things? And in a lot of places, we don't even know who our neighbors are. You know, whose fault is that? But let's let's see what you think about this. Triple eight nine one four. 9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Let's go to Sarah in Richfield, Wisconsin. Hi, Sarah. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I love what you were reading, and I just had to call because that is exactly how my family is. And really? I don't know if it's our, yeah, I don't know if it's our Italian roots or if it's <laughs> just a big family thing. Um, but all of my siblings live local, and so our kids are always, we're always stopping by each other's houses. Somebody's always at my mom's house. Um, our friends know that they're welcome. They come in without even knocking most of the time. <laughs> and, um, I, and my kids love it. We all love it. We love being around people and it's just a beautiful thing. And it's unfortunate. My husband's family is not like that. So everything okay. feels so, um, sterile and generic, but like, or like sterile when we hang out, like, or, <laughs> you know, it's very planned and very, you know, she's got to have like all these dates set aside and, then sometimes we don't even go in the house. We just hang out outside and the kids have to like, you know, not touch anything. And so it's, <laughs> it's you know, a lot more um, frustrating and it makes me anxious <laughs> hanging out over there. But I, I absolutely love this idea and I wish more people felt that way. And I think our communities would grow greatly. Um, yeah. Our Catholic communities from even just being a little bit more hospitable and uh, being open to, to unexpected people. Yeah, Sarah, Sarah I, I love what you're saying. I think that's great. Let, well, let me ask you this. So your husband's family was really kind of not like that growing up. How does he feel about, about all this, all these people coming and going? And is he a little bit like his parents, or has he kind of learned to kind of go with it? He has definitely learned to go with it. Um, 
he is a little more of an introvert. So at first it was a little bit hard, but I think he, he's actually grown to like it. And it's a little bit of a sadness for him now that he just can't pop by his parents' house mm. and say hello to them. He's got to make a, an appointment, <laughs> you know, and schedule it and, and all this kind of stuff. And so I, he's, he really has grown to love it. But I think, you know, when you have so much love and so much energy um, and life, just around you all the time it's really mm-hmm. hard not to fall in love with it yeah it's, it's interesting and and it, what you're saying kind of resonates with me too because uh my, my wife's family uh, is from a filipino background and they're they're be- very big on family too very much like uh, the italian community and and there's always lots of relatives around and always lots of family gatherings and stuff like that and i was really used to that growing up and i was a little bit more maybe like your, your husband's background so it's 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 so intriguing to to see the, these differences and and to see the the impact that uh, having this extended family around can can really have, especially on the on, on the kids and and just the cousins being able to hang out and play with each other and uh, it, it's so intriguing. So what you're saying really kind of resonates with me. It's a it's a great call. Really, thank you for for calling in, Sarah. I really appreciate that very much, uh, Sarah in Wisconsin. Really cool. Let's go to Benito in Vista, California. Hi, Benito. Hey, how we doing? Yeah, I remember uh, my mom always had a pot of beans. My a friends pot would of beans. come over, yeah, and have have a taco or something to eat on uh, Christmas time tamales. I always had tamales. Oh yeah. And we mm-hmm. lived in the corner house, and I had like five brothers, have five brothers and three sisters, and everybody had friends. So they would just just gather, had a little fire in the backyard. We would just walk in the backyard and just sit down and enjoy the day. So your your, fr- your, fr- your friends would just drop in and ah huh? it was the fr- whole neighborhood kids everybody in the neighborhood came by wow it like, that- hey, what's doing it was really neat. it was really and that was that was kind of the gathering spot your 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 house and your mom would serve up the beans and they loved it oh yeah I had a uh, my my goddaughter's uh, house sister was telling me this not too long ago she goes. Even, even I would walk by your mom's house and I would love the beans. I remember the beans. <laughs> Always had beans. Remember the beans. Yeah, you got you gotta love the beans. That that is fantastic. And, and speaking of thanks so much for that call, Benito. And speaking of beans, a different kind of bean, the coffee bean. It was interesting when I was when I was reading that piece from uh from Andrew Donovan, this idea of this third place. There's the home as the first place, and then there's the work as the second place, and then there's this third place. And it used to be sort of gathering spots. Uh, the piazzas, you know, the church steps, and a lot of these communities were kind of built around the church in Europe. And I remember when uh, when Starbucks got started, uh, Howard Schultz, you know, the CEO of Starbucks, used to say, hey, this is the third place now, Starbucks, this is where you go, and you got to get your beans, you know, different kind of bean, of course. And so they sort of marketed it as a, as this third place where people could hang out and connect. Let's go real quick. How much time do I have, Jim? Do I got, do I got time for this? Okay, all right. Uh, let's go to Fran in Massachusetts. Hi, Fran. Hey, interesting topic. I, I had no idea that we had these similarities. I do miss that because it is a different cultural. Uh, growing up in an Italian-American family, I had the same experiences that you did. It, but now I miss it. We don't have those Sunday gatherings anymore. You know, they're few and far between. And, mm. But then when people do pop over, sometimes you have to realize, like you mentioned, Mary and the cousin Elizabeth, we have to be that same way now to the other people. And um, it, it is a beautiful thing to have that um, the welcoming kind of a spirit, no matter what what you're you're going through. Yeah, and and it's uh, it's certainly it's something I think that that modern 
culture, at least in the burbs, has may has maybe lost a little bit, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Fran, I, I, pre- I, I appreciate that call so much. Hey, we got to take a quick break right now on the Kale Clark Show, but we'll be right back. So if you're on the line, hang on. I'll try to get to you. 888-914-9149. This is the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program. Triple H nine one four nine one four nine. I'm going to get back to your calls in just a second. So if you're on the line, please hang on. I promised I'd tell you this story about a modern day David. We talked about David in the Old Testament earlier. Uh, it's part of the Old Testament typology of the visitation today's feast. But we know that David also killed the mighty Goliath uh, with his sling and. Uh, a modern-day David, well, his name was Owen. Maybe you should change his name to David. I'm talking about 13-year-old Owen Burns from Alpena Township, Michigan. And Jonathan Edwards in the Washington Post uh, wrote a story a few days ago about an incredible thing that happened. A couple of years ago, uh, Owen's mother, Maggie, bought Owen a slingshot for $3 on clearance a couple years ago. And he used to do target practice in the backyard. He used to use old orange juice cans. And on the afternoon of May 10th, just a few days ago, he was, he'd just come home from school, he fired up Call of Duty on his PlayStation 3, and his sister was in the backyard, who was 8 years old, and she was looking for mushrooms, their backyard backed onto a wooded area, and they got home before their parents got home, uh, they were home from school, and then all of a sudden, he heard his sister screaming, and he just kind of figured, maybe she's playing with her friends. I don't know what's going on, but it's kind of annoying. I'm trying to do something here. They said, no, no, there's something weird about this. So he looks out the window, and there was a 17-year-old kid who had grabbed his sister uh, around the waist, put his hand over her mouth, and he was trying to drag her into the woods. Just horrifying. And so Owen immediately sprung into action. He grabbed the only weapon that he could find, his $3 slingshot, a marble from his desk, and he fired it through the open window, and from 200 feet away, he hit this guy, this assailant, right between the eyes, and and just stunned him. He started to curse, and then Owen grabbed a rock from his room, again fired, hit him again. Unbelievable. I mean, this this is almost the length of a full football field away. Incredible. Uh, accuracy (laughs) with his $3 slingshot. And that's when the assailant was able to, uh, he was kind of immobilized for a second, and Owen's little sister ran away to safety. Eventually, the police were called, and they caught this kid. How'd they know it was him? Well, he had a big welt right between the eyes. And so Owen has been hailed as a hero. Uh, This is an unbelievable story uh, of how, wow, he saved his sister from Something incredibly, incredibly evil probably would have happened to her. Uh, It's the stuff of something you might see in a movie or something you might read about uh, in the scriptures. He's a modern-day David, if you will. So he's being held rightly so as a hero. This is an incredible thing. I love stories like this. It's just such a great story to see a kid sticking up uh, for his sister and protecting her uh, from something that was uh, very, very... Uh, I don't even want to think about what could have happened, but but what a hero, Owen Burns of Alpena Township, Michigan. How cool is that? All right, let's go back to the phones right now. Let's go to Tracy in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Cal. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for calling in. 
Good. I want to talk to you about the Poppins, as us Polish, Polish Poppins. I grew up in a neighborhood. Uh-huh. I was blessed to be one of seven, and my father was one of six, and all living in a, you know, relatively small town where you could walk everywhere. You always came to other people's houses unexpectedly with something in hand, cookies, a roast, gallon of milk, whatever. But I think technology has taken people mm. to a place where they don't need to catch up. They can look at their phone. They can leave a voicemail. A lot of people don't even hear voices anymore because everything is done in, you know, that technical business way. Mm -hmm. Um, Another big thing is geography. You know, driving everywhere, you know, safety. We've gone to a different place where people need to make that effort. And if you really, truly take the time and value what's important. The only thing that's truly important are the people in your life. Hmm. I pray that more people will just step up and do that because the children need those examples. It's the children that are floundering. They're the ones who don't know what, having somebody come over who truly wants to see you and love you and talk to you. Yeah. It's a, it's a yeah. time that's gone by. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that we have lost something really really crucial there in, ter- in terms of community. <laughs> so Polish Poppins, that's, that's interesting. I haven't heard that. And, and it's, it's true in a lot of um, uh, different ethnic communities. The, these kind of gatherings are a little bit more common than, than in others for sure. But, but I think part of it is just, as you said, geography plays uh, part of the role there. People have to drive so far sometimes to, to get to see friends and family who used to in, in olden times kind of live just right around the corner or within the same neighborhood Within the same city, it was very common for you to grow up and work in the same city in which you were born. And it's not the case anymore. Migration, people travel, they don't live close to each other anymore. Work takes them uh, away from these things. And, and just the way our cities are built, too, uh, it doesn't kind of lend itself to it. Um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, in, the, in the city where I live, in Toronto, Canada, there's, uh, there's one little example uh, north of the city. There's a, a small community where... The parish priest, who was actually an architect, he designed not only the church where he's the pastor, but he also designed the community around the church. And it's interesting; it's like an old European community in which the the houses were built around the church. The church is the center. You can walk to the church if you live there, and it, it kind of does harken back to those those bygone times. And another thing that you mentioned, Tracy, is technology. I think that's that's really true. I think obviously FaceTime has has actually replaced real FaceTime with people in so many ways, hasn't it? And people think, well, I, I, you know, I've caught up with folks on Facebook. We're good. And it just creates kind of this almost a laziness. Like, I, I don't really need to make the effort to go see this person. I just need to kind of look them up on social. And that's, that's good enough. And I think we're, we're kind of missing something um, from our relationships. But I also think that there's also a hunger for this human connection. And that's something that, now that we're kind of coming out of COVID times, I think there there is a great hunger uh, for people to reconnect. I don't think, at least what I've seen around here, unfortunately, people really haven't been coming back to to church. Uh, in fact, not at all, really. In 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 my region, I don't know what it's been like for you. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. But uh, it's been hard to get people to come back uh, in person and kind of reestablish that that societal link um, with brothers and sisters and in the body of Christ, you know, and, and also their, their natural families too, their natural friends. So really interesting. So thanks, Tracy. I really appreciate those insights. Uh, thank you for listening. Tracy in Mount Laurel, New Jersey.
All right. Well, I will say this. Um, like I said earlier in the show, we're, we're having an intriguing, and I'm learning a lot too about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has been called the great unknown uh, by St. Jose Maria, by many others, the great unknown. But we've got to get to know who he is and how he can help us in our lives, help us to know God's will, help us to do it. And I hope that you'll join me uh, tomorrow on The Faith Explained, 1230 Central. We're going to continue to learn about this. It's, it's really important for us. And I'm going to be sharing with you what I call the 10 for 1 deal. I remember uh, when I was playing uh, college basketball, we went to a tournament one time, and there was this place called 3 for 1 Pizza. And I'm like, guys, how good can the pizza really be if it's 3 for 1? Uh, but I'm talking about a 10 for 1 spiritual deal that you're not going to want to miss. And uh, St. Therese of Lisieux, she talked about this. She wrote a letter to her sister Celine, and she said, Hey, every time we thank God for a grace that he's given us, and we're truly thankful for this, he's so happy about it, he, he can't resist giving us ten more. If we're thankful for one grace, he'll give us ten more. And if we're thankful for those ten, we get an infinite number of graces. It's, it's like to the power of ten. So she says, try it, and you'll see. And, and that's what we're going to talk about tomorrow on The Faith Explained, this idea of, being thankful for the graces that he's given us in order to get more. And if we're responsive to what God wants to give us, he's going to expand our capacity to receive them. He's going to help us to get more graces, more insight from him, and we'll be able to not only know his will more, but to do it better and to be more faithful. So there's so much that we can say about that. We'll talk about that tomorrow on The Faith Explained. Check the podcast anytime on the relevant radio app. Of course, we do want you to keep it locked in here on Relevant Radio. We've got a great night ahead. Uh, Trending with Timory is coming up, followed by Father Rocky and the Family Rosary Across America. And we are a family here at Relevant Radio, a family of listeners, and the family that prays together certainly stays together. So hope that you'll stay with us tonight and take part in the rosary coming up. So good stuff. Good stuff is happening in the church and in the world. There's a lot of negativity, but um, don't forget, God is still at work, and he's called you and I to be right in the middle of what he's doing now in our world with our friends, our families, and our communities. So, hey, why don't you drop in on somebody? Do a little visitation of your own. See what happens. <laughs> this is Cale Clark, Jim Shaper, produced Patrick A. Electric, your phone calls. Catch you in the next one. God bless. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.